This week on the mic drop, we talk Dallas Stars playoffs with play-by-play announcer Josh Bogorad. And you won't want to miss the story of how he hustled his way into a radio job with a little luck at age 16. But first, we talk cricket. Yes, the global sport of wickets and overs and beamers and bouncers, googlies and flippers, the silly mid-off in the cow corner. It's all coming to Dallas-Fort Worth. Some of the best players in the world are on their way. We learn all about it from Major League Cricket Marketing Chief Tom Dunmore, who tells us that Dallas-Fort Worth is a top five market for cricket in the U.S. Who knew? So let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everybody, the official podcast of the Dallas Sports Commission. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by Sports Commission Executive Director Monica Paul and Next Level Marcus Carr. Thanks for listening and for following. It's episode 60, kind of a mini milestone for us. Slim pickings when it comes to sports heroes in Dallas-Fort Worth that were number 60. So with apologies to... 1980s era Cowboys backup defensive lineman Don Smerrick, who had a pretty good run here. We're going to go with Rangers left-handed reliever John King. Now, astute Rangers fans will say, wait a minute, he wears number 32. But for his first two years with the club, he did wear number 60. John Blake, the Rangers legendary communications chief, tells us he just switched because he simply wanted a lower number. And I don't blame him. You know, the the youngsters today, like Marcus Carr, they like when the players like Luka Doncic wear 77 and big high numbers. But I, I don't, I, I, I like the more traditional approach when it comes to jersey numbers. Uh, King was the Rangers' tenth round pick out of the University of Houston back in 2017. He had some arm trouble. He had surgery. Made his major league debut though in 2020, pretty quickly for a guy that had some arm trouble. While his fastball doesn't hit 100 miles an hour, he has an outstanding change up and break and ball, which at one time had the Rangers brass thinking that John King would be a starter. John King tidbit. He was reportedly included in the original trade that sent Joey Gallo to the Yankees last July. The Yankees balked because he was rehabbing an injury at the time. And Joelle Rodriguez got thrown in the deal at the last minute. And uh, of course he's been since traded to the Mets. And I bet you the Rangers are glad that John King did not get included in that deal because he's playing pretty well out of the bullpen uh, this season. Uh, so we like John King. And even though he switched to number 32, we're going to honor him this week with his old number, number 60 for episode 60. Monica, when you were rocking it on the uh, many fields of play for the Caldwell High Hornets just a few years ago, I know you <laughs> played just about everything, volleyball, basketball, track and field, golf. I probably left something out. What was your, what was your go-to number? Jersey number. Well, well, Sully, I wouldn't say I had a go-to, but I, I wore, I guess, numerous ones, maybe different jerseys for every for each sport. So it was more like uh, 12, 23, I think three even in college. So, uh, yeah, I, it, they're, they're now my uh, lottery numbers whenever I play the lottery. So that's all my jersey numbers from, from high school and college are my lottery numbers. All right, Marcus, you, you played a lot of baseball growing up in particular. What was your number? Well, my birthday is November 9th, so I always did 13 because it was the next odd number after after 11-9, so that's kind of where I got that from. 
And you, that means you're not superstitious. That means I'm not superstitious. And of course, Mike Drop uh, fans know that Marcus and I share November 9th as a birthday. Yeah, my number, as I as I uh, spoke about on episode 34, was number 34. Uh, Monica, we got a really good show coming up. But first, what is happening at the Dallas Sports Commission? Oh, well, it's been a busy week, Sully. Um, you're going to start to hear a little bit more about uh, Rugby World Cup in 2031 here over the next few weeks and months. So uh, that's really heating up as World Rugby is nearing a decision on where those uh, what host countries will be for 2031, which we be for the men's and hopefully 2033 for the Women's Rugby World Cup. Um, this week, the Dallas City Council passed a referendum, uh, which will basically uh, move to a public vote uh, in November, which would possibly mean millions of dollars for infrastructure improvements for Fair Park. And not only that, but uh, expansion of the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center, which for us uh, really factors into our International Broadcast Center bid for FIFA. So uh, really everything is uh, pretty focused on FIFA. Uh, we're getting ready for next week for the VEX Robotics World Championships. So that'll be here for the next two weeks, which we had Bob on, um, I think, last week. So, yeah, uh, busy time for us, but uh, women's final four bids, men's final four bids all do uh, coming around uh, next week as well. So uh, a lot of positive things, but a lot of good energy, I, I have to say, that uh, uh, the numbers, the travel, the people that are participating in uh, a, a lot of our youth events, uh, we're seeing our numbers uh, well over what they were in 2019. So that's a positive sign to seeing uh, as what we've gone through in the last few years. No, very positive. And, and as always, the hardest working uh, executive in sports, entertainment, and show business, Monica and, and her team. Uh, we're not going to talk as we record this on Thursday morning. The Mavericks are on the verge of, uh, I'm not even going to say it out loud. No, we no, jinxed don't jinx them it. Last season in the Clippers series, the NFL draft starts tonight. So next week, we're going to be back to talk about uh, uh, Mavericks, Jazz, the Stars playoffs, NFL draft. But back in a moment, to talk cricket, you heard me right. We're going to talk cricket with Tom Dunmore of Major League Cricket. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rach. Now it's my pleasure to welcome Tom Dunmore of Major League Cricket to the mic drop. Uh, Tom is the Vice President of Marketing. He's had that, that uh, role since last June. Before that, uh, four plus years in marketing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, one of the great uh, cathedrals of sport in the United States. Had the pleasure of uh, being there a couple times. Uh, Tom worked in soccer for many years. He's from the UK originally. Tom, welcome to the mic drop. Thanks so much for having me on to talk some cricket. Awesome. Well, Tom, before we get into Major League Cricket and your connection to DFW, uh, after many years in soccer and auto racing, how did you end up at Major League Cricket? 
Well, that's a good question. Uh, I was a big, big cricket fan when I was growing up in in England. Cricket and, and soccer were my two sports that I, you know, loved going to matches locally and uh, really fell in love with, with cricket as a kid. It's it's an incredibly fun sport both to play and to and to watch. Uh, when I moved to the US about 20 odd years ago, there wasn't uh, all that much cricket around. Uh, but uh, as you guys mentioned, lived in Indianapolis and we did have a cricket facility uh, built here in Indy uh, several years ago and uh, helped out a little bit with the mayor's uh, project there. Uh, it was it was a great vision that he had for uh, creating a, a venue for the sport that would uh, particularly appeal to to many uh, many immigrants from cricket loving countries and and help Indy uh, continue to to grow as a sports city. So I got in touch uh, with with some of the folks nationally. Running cricket kind of stayed in touch, and and when Major League Cricket was launched, this this opportunity came around, and it was just a very exciting chance to to join a venture that's, that's going to transform the sport across the country. There's never been uh, a, a plan with this much ambition and and this much backing to to really bring professional cricket nationwide to the United States. So as a, you know, as I mentioned, as a lifelong cricket fan, the the chance to be part of that to build something. From the ground up uh, and, and to create something special for both existing cricket fans and hopefully develop a lot of new cricket fans in the u.s was was something i was just delighted to be able to, to take on well i know there's a lot of uh, a lot more talk and and discussion around cricket here locally and i think sully's going to get to that but uh, as most sports and or at least the clients of ours uh, the pandemic slowed plans of you know launch and uh, well, just development and events going on. What's the status of the launch of Major League Cricket? Uh, how many teams are there? What are the details? Take our listeners through uh, what may be coming. Yeah, I think one important thing to emphasize is this is going to be world-class cricket coming to America. This is this is some of the best players in the world coming to play cricket. This isn't, uh, you know, by, by no means is this a second-tier league or a semi-professional league. We're, we're going to see the world's best cricketers playing in America in, in major league cricket. Uh, and as cricket develops here uh, in national team matches between the USA and other countries uh, as well, and that we played in the stadiums that we're developing across the country, including the one that we'll, we'll chat about here uh, near Dallas. Uh, and the, the league is expected to launch next year, summer of 2023. Uh, we, most important thing for us is to have the facilities ready that uh, can host cricket in the, the proper way it needs it is a very specific sport and what you need for it in terms of the field uh, both the shape of it which is an oval which is unusual in, in you know professional sports different than a baseball diamond or obviously a football field so it does need a specific uh, home built for it uh, and the, the part in the middle the pitch the wicket as it's called uh, that, that you actually play on and the players are on uh, when they're when they're hitting and, and bowling pitching uh, that has to be curated really well too. So it's a it's a very unique uh, surface and, and set of demands for it. So to to launch Major League Cricket the right way, we have to have the right places to play to do it properly. We we want this to be the best of cricket coming to America. So we we you know we have taken our time to make sure we're getting it right. And when we launch, it, it's going to be outstanding cricket. Uh, we expect to have around six teams in Major League Cricket when we when we uh, when we launch. And uh, we, we wanted to to bring that very best of, of global cricket to the U.S. Well, I think this my next question is going to surprise uh, some of our listeners or not. Maybe my question about the answer that Tom's going to give here. But uh, 
Can you give us a sense of how big is cricket around the world? I think it'll surprise people, the number of people that are playing. I mean, I know we've had tremendous growth here in the DFW area recently, but this is a major international sport. Indeed. Yeah, we're not we're not talking millions of fans worldwide. We're talking billions. Uh, it is an enormously popular sport by sheer volume of, of fans. It, it's the number two most popular sport in the world behind behind soccer. Uh, so, you know, it's certainly fair to say a lot of that is concentrated in, in certain countries, you know, particularly in South Asia, in India, uh, obviously a huge country and, and uh, in, in India. There are very, there's probably nothing more popular than, than cricket. It, it, it's an enormous passion in that area, also in Pakistan, Sri Lanka, uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, England, where, where the game was in, invented, uh, and many other countries uh, where the game is fast developing now. Uh, and so that, that it does have that global stage, the World Cup, uh, which will be coming to America, the T20 World Cup, Cricket World Cup, we're coming to America in 2024, is one of the world's most popular uh, events. You're talking hundreds of millions of, of viewers for that as well. So it is an enormously popular sport, uh, but there's also a massive uh, upside to grow the sport, including in the US, uh, which is why the, the International Cricket Council, the governing body of world cricket, has identified the US as the number one market to expand the game uh, in the world uh, and one reason why we will be hosting the world cup and they're very excited about the plans for major league cricket so uh, it's a sport that's already massively popular but we also know it's a sport with a tremendous amount of growth potential as well and you you've converted the old uh texas air hogs uh, stadium in grand prairie it was a you know that was an independent league minor league club it was there for several years uh, and now that is the Grand Prairie Cricket Grounds. Tell us about about that. Uh, and and you know USA Cricket has moved here. Uh, we can add them to the list of of uh, sports associations, governing bodies, leagues that that are based in Dallas Fort Worth. Uh, talk about the the development of the Grand Prairie Cricket Grounds and how you mentioned the the, the T Twenty World Cup coming in twenty twenty four. How did all of this end up in 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 our in our neck of the woods? Yeah, you know, I think it's a mix of factors. Uh, you know, firstly, Dallas is a tremendous market for cricket. Uh, we, it's definitely in the top five nationwide for the number of cricket fans, uh, the amount of players, the number of leagues taking place. A lot of that has come, you know, from changing demographics over the last couple of decades as you know, Texas and Dallas has, has diversified and there's been a lot, uh, an influx of, of immigration, particularly from those cricket-loving countries that I mentioned, like, like India. Uh, so that's created a massive base for cricket. And that was important. We don't want to build or convert stadiums in, in places without a natural fan base for the sport. We don't want these to be white elephants. We want them to be filled and we want there to be excitement. And we want them to serve the community and be homes for the sport uh, in, in the right places. So Dallas ticked, ticked all of those boxes um, as, as, a, as a place that has the community and the demographics to support it. And then I'd say there's also just a little bit of, of fortune that such a great venue uh, was available um, uh, because of what happened with the Air Hogs uh, and the location uh, and, and the ability to, to transform a venue that was only open, I think, in 2008. Uh, so not an old stadium by any means, a really uh, excellent, uh, excellent facility, a good size for us. We're not looking to build 20, 30,000 permanent seat venues at this point. We're realistic. We want to fill smaller venues. We want it to have buzz. We want it to feel like a great atmosphere when you're out there. So that's sort of seven to 8,000 uh, capacity venues right in the sweet spot for us 
it can expand for larger events like the World Cup. Uh, it is a large oval, so there's room to add temporary seating to size it up. Um, but it's got uh, it's got luxury suites. We'll be doing some upgrades too. It's got premium club seating, uh, and it's a venue that you know we won't just host a few major league cricket matches a year. There we'll have you know probably thirty plus ticketed events a year with other cricket matches, tournaments taking place throughout the year. So the, the location being close to Dallas, close to Fort Worth. Uh, the, the availability uh, of it and the willingness of, of Grand Prairie to work with us, partner with us, uh, and their belief uh, that, that cricket is a sport of the future for the U.S. Uh, all those things came together to make this a really great fit for what will really be our first premier cricket venue in, in the U.S. Uh, and a home for the sport nationwide. Back in uh, 2000, I spent more than a month in Australia when I worked at NBC sports and the Olympics were there. And before the Olympics started, you know, I noticed cricket was on TV all the time. And I said to myself, okay, I am going to learn this game. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to give it 45 minutes and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to learn the rules and I'm going to see what this is all about. And honestly, Tom, I probably lasted about five minutes. I couldn't make, I couldn't make head or tail out of any of it. So what do you say to a Dallas Fort Worth sports fan who's never, who doesn't understand the game, hasn't watched much. What do you say to them to get them to want to, you know, come out next summer, the summer of 2023 to the Grand Prairie cricket grounds uh, to, to, to check it out or to watch on TV? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would, I would say if, if you love, particularly if you love baseball, it's a sport that, that does share its roots with baseball, you know, that they have the same origins Back in the day, in fact, in the 19th century, uh, cricket was quite popular in the U.S. and there were many cricket and baseball clubs where both sports were played. It's a great bat and ball sport. It's high octane, high energy. It is not your sort of great, great, great grandfather's uh, sort of perception of cricket as a, a stuffy 19th century, uh, you know, British game. And I think I can say that because I'm British. Um, you know, it is now a very modern, fast-paced game. There's a version of it called T20 that I mentioned. That'll be the version we're playing in Major League Cricket and, and the World Cup of 2024. That uh, it's a shortened version of the game that lasts about three hours. So it's less time-consuming, uh, you know, you can sit down and watch it the same way as an NFL game or a, a Major League Baseball game, which now they seem to be taking longer and longer. Cricket's going the other way. We're making our game shorter. Well, baseball seems to be uh, going in the other direction despite some efforts. Um, but it's 360-degree hitting, right? So in baseball, you know, the ball isn't actually in play all that often because you have so much, you know, so many foul balls and, and it's harder to hit the, the ball with a baseball bat uh, than it is with, with a cricket bat. Uh, cricket has more of the ball in play. So there's a lot more action happening with each delivery. Uh, you're seeing hitting you know, going behind the batter as well as in front uh, and they're, they're scoring and playing from that. And you see a lot of big hitting now, as I mentioned, T20 is a format that's shortened the game and has raised the stakes for uh, big hits. Uh, they're called sixes in cricket, like home runs. And if you want to see a really great cricket batter play, you can see them, you know, unlike in baseball where, you know, a great hitter might only have one hit in a, in a game and one home run. You'll see a good cricket uh, bat, batter uh, hit the ball out of the ground multiple times and they'll be out there and you can uh, really see and experience some some outstanding athleticism and hitting and, and, and bowling or uh, pitching uh, uh, throughout the match, so it's it's uh, it's become a very fast-paced game. Uh, the the IPL, the Indian League, which is the most popular in the world, 
it's fireworks, it's high energy, it's fun, uh, it's a big entertainment event. You know, all the Bollywood superstars go out to it. It's got that glamour to it. We're going to bring a touch of that to the U.S. with our own American twist on it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really a chance to discover a new game. Uh, you know, I've seen, again, as a soccer fan and someone that's worked in soccer, how America has embraced that sport. You know, 30 years ago, most Americans... Uh, didn't know how to, you know, didn't know how to play the game and, and couldn't explain the offside rule if you gave them, you know, a couple of days to do it. And uh, now there are you know, millions and millions of, of soccer fans that have embraced the game and the, the world sport. Uh, and I think we'll see a little something similar with, with cricket as well. It's just a, it's a super fun game if you give it a chance. Um, you know, I would say in terms of your experience, some of the rules and, and some of the terminology can feel a bit arcane. So it's our job to help explain it well and introduce it to, to fans the right way and, and make sure those parts are understood. But, you know, I was talking just last, last week with a big baseball YouTube influencer called John Boy. He's got a few million followers. He's really embraced cricket. And, you know, he puts up highlights the, uh, of cricket on his, his baseball focus channel. And he's not too worried about uh, having to explain everything because the fundamentals are there. You know, a great catch, a great hit, a great piece of fielding. Uh, visually, uh, American fans actually can understand it pretty easily because of our love of baseball here and, and how, uh, you know, how, how, how much we've already embraced the bat and ball sport in the U.S. No country outside of cricket-loving countries loves the bat and ball sport more than the U.S. So there are those things that are translatable. Um, we just need to do our job to translate it and come out and have fun at the, the ballpark and, and learn the game. You know, I, as part of my exhaustive research, Tom, for this uh, conversation, I came across the John Boy uh, videos on YouTube, and I recommend uh, our listeners uh, check it out. It's pretty fun. He, he really uh, take, takes a nice approach uh, to, to laying it out there. Now, every sport has its own language, and the one thing I know about cricket is you, you mentioned the terminology. There are some really funny slang expressions <laughs> that go along with the game. Give us a few of your favorites. Tell our listeners some some of the some of the funny terms that they're they're going to learn as as they become cricket fans. Yeah, there there are all sorts. So uh, in cricket, when when you bowl the ball, when you pitch the ball, there are all sorts of names for the, the type of delivery. It's not just a curveball. They've all got funny funny names. There's a, there's a googly, which is a slow ball that, that spins the other way than, than the batter's going to expect. There's a flipper, which goes the other way. Um, and there's there's probably ten or fifteen of those types of names for deliveries. All the fielding positions have different names. I don't know exactly how many there are, to be honest, but there's probably 30-plus fielding positions with different names. It's not like baseball where you have just those very clear stations or all sorts of spots that fielders go to. One of my favorites is called Silly Point. It's it's pretty close to the, the batter. I think that's why it, it has the name because you really don't want to be standing close to a batter when he's smacking a 90-mile-an-hour uh, ball. Uh, straight at your head from from 10 feet away so it's usually the younger guy on the team the rookie who gets stationed uh stationed there so the, the, yeah there's all sorts of uh, funny names for uh for the for the sport uh, sports fielding positions and deliveries and it's part of the joy of it too you know it's a bit like uh you know americans i know love you know english heritage and downton abbey and all the you know, uh, going on on tours of London and discovering all the back alleys and the you know the funny history that we have in in the UK, and there's a bit of that with cricket. You can go down quite quite a fun alley of exploring where all the terminology came from and the names, and it's definitely part of the charm and the, the culture of the sport. You mentioned making the ballpark experience fun for for new fans in the US. As a marketer, this is 
you know, I can tell how excited you are about the challenge. Uh, so tell us, how will you, how will Major League Cricket approach marketing the sport uh, to American? Uh, to, to, I know there's a, there's a lot of cricket fans here, more than we than we probably knew, but how will you market it to the non-fans, the newcomers to the game? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question and something I <laughs> I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about quite quite often. Uh, I think there are you know we have to think about certain audiences that I think will be more inclined to be interested in it and and really work to reach them and explain the game. Uh, I do think you know fans of soccer. Uh, are, are a good a good opportunity for us because they've already embraced a global sport and they're interested in that uh, a non sort of non traditional big three sport. So I think explaining uh, cricket as a global game is a good way to start. Um, fans of baseball, like I mentioned, particularly younger fans that also follow other sports, I think they're a great target for us to to introduce the game to and, and doing stuff with, with guys like John Boy and other influencers to get directly to them and show them what the sport is on YouTube and so social media i think that's a great way to to navigate to them uh, and show them the game and show them how it's how it's played directly with with having fun with it too you know we we shouldn't be too uh, pompous about it we can have fun with cricket uh, and enjoy it and introduce it um, uh, and and find some some novel ways to to do that another example you know we're looking at putting in uh, the grand prairie stadium uh, uh, cricket experience. It, it's called uh, Sixes. Uh, there are a few of these restaurant bars in, in England, uh, and they're sort of like a top golf for cricket, where you uh, you have the ball bowled at you and you hit it, and you have scoring targets that you try to hit in a sort of uh, batting cage lane. And it makes it a very social experience, like top golf or putt putt or a lot of these other sort of social sports experiences that are uh, that are popping up these days that we know particularly younger. Younger folks love to go out and play with their friends and, and have a drink and discover a sport that they might not have played otherwise. You know, that's really helped golf over the last few years uh, in particular. And we think uh, that, that cricket can can benefit from that too by making it a social experience, making it fun. You know, you can hold a bat for the first time, but you've already, you know, maybe had a cocktail, so you feel a bit more comfortable doing it with your friends, showing you how. Uh, and that's a great way to, to discover it and have fun with it. So we do need to find some non-traditional ways to do it, um, but also building these world-class homes for the sport, like the Grand Prairie Stadium, where it's an outstanding experience to go there. Americans, you know, we know there's high expectations of what a stadium experience is, and we don't, you know, we don't want cricket to 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 be behind in that. We want it to feel first class when you go out there and uh, discover the sport. And be, you know, it, it'll be a social experience. There'll be music. There'll be a lot of things happening around the games as well. We'll have experiences on the sidelines where you can go pick up a cricket bat and try it. Uh, so we, we know it's going to be some sort of hand-to-hand combat, getting fans into it, um, as well as the, the sort of big splash of something like a World Cup. Um, you know, we saw what that did for soccer in the 1990s with the 94 Men's World Cup and the 99 Women's World Cups here that really broadened the audience and, and brought it to new, uh, new fan bases across the whole country. And, and something similar will happen. With the World Cup, you know, the, the, the scale of a big event and how that can reach people is really significant for us. So, you know, we think there's several several ways like that that we can we can get the sport to new audiences, um, as well as, as you said, there's, there's already millions of cricket fans in the U.S. And that's, our, you know, our bread and butter, our cornerstone. And, and those, those, those people have friends and, and family, right? They'll bring them out to the games with them. They have kids. You know, it's really important that... Kids of, of first-generation immigrants uh, are introduced to the game at a young age. You know, I have kids 
they're eight and nine uh, and I want them to, to love cricket right now. They don't have any professional cricket in the U S to, to, to go and watch and see. So by creating that and, and introducing it, it gives them something to aspire to and watch and become fans of the game themselves. And they're, they're predisposed to like it because they know I like cricket and I've shown them what it is, but if we can have it across the country in these great venues, then those kids can go out and see it for themselves and become fans and, uh, that that's a massive opportunity for us as well. So I think it's sort of those those buckets of of fans that we we think we can reach uh, and introduce the sport to. Well, Tom, before we let you go, you're kind of going into my last question of uh, uh, for those kids. So your eight nine year olds, uh, what are the opportunities for them to you know compete? I guess or practice. I mean, we know that the the club programs across you know the soccer's the volleyballs and that sort of thing uh, you know travel teams all of that what are the opportunities on the youth and development side yeah the good news is it's come an awfully long way in the last uh, even 10 years uh, there are now especially in the Dallas Fort Worth area there are an enormous number of, of teams and leagues available uh, for, for kids to go join and learn the game and play at both, you know, recreationally uh, up to really high level academies. We have a major league cricket. We have about 15 affiliated uh, academies around the country. Uh, and that's, that's a great way to, to get first-class coaching. We've brought over about 30 odd professional players to the U S who are also coaching uh, the game as well. So they played, played at the very highest level. They've won world cups, uh, they played for their countries and now they're coaching American kids. So there's a massive opportunity to, to get involved uh, in the sport at the at the youth level, to play the game, to learn it, and then go all the way up to, you know, even playing for the youth national teams. So uh, it, it's a pretty uh, simple game um, as a kid to pick up and play, you know, just, just pick up a bat and hit the ball. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't require sort of ice hockey level of, uh, of equipment. There is some, some stuff that you need, but it's, it's not too onerous. Uh, and it, it, there are plenty of opportunities now around the country to get involved as, uh, as a parent and get your, get your kids playing and uh, anyone that, that's looking for any advice or help, you know, definitely reach out to major league cricket on our show, social handles. We're happy to guide anyone to their local academy or, or club scene. Well, Sully, I don't know about you, but uh, I think uh, when this uh, when we have some major league cricket games around here uh, uh, in the next few years, we're, we may have to take the mic drop out there, or for sure take in a game. field trip. Field trip, yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. I definitely want to check it out. Well, Tom, I'm going to give you more than five minutes too, Tom, <laughs> to, to win me over for this time. Appreciate that. <laughs> I've watched cricket on TV, but never uh, in, in person. So, and I still, I, I know none of the rules. Uh, so uh, I'm going to need a tutorial session for sure. So, uh, but Tom, thank you for joining us. Uh, so very excited to hear uh, everything that's going on with cricket, major league cricket. Uh, obviously we're honored to, to be home of, of USA cricket and have those uh, uh, cricket uh uh, fields out in Grand Prairie, uh, just another uh, tool for us uh, in our toolkit over at the Sports Commission uh, to really continue to promote Dallas as a sports destination. So best of luck to you, and we'll definitely continue to be cheering you on. Thanks so much. Look forward to having you out at uh, Grand Prairie Stadium for some cricket. All right. Sounds great. And now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Did you know the Dallas Zoo provides guests with real-life opportunities to make memorable connections with more than 2,000 animals? Please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in Texas and around the world. Visit DallasZoo.com to purchase your tickets today.
Thanks, Rachel. And now we're really happy to be joined by Dallas Stars play-by-play announcer, Josh Bogorad. Josh has been part of the Stars uh, broadcast team since 2013, but the play-by-play announcer since 2018, where he teams with our friend, Daryl Ray. Uh, This is a guy, we love having people like Josh on the mic drop, who really paid his dues to launch his career in, in sports. He called games as a student at Arizona, hockey games at Arizona, University of Arizona. Then there was the uh, the Rio Grande Valley Dorados, which I believe we'll talk about this maybe arena. I think that was arena football. Uh, then a number of years at the Corpus Christi Ice Rays, a trip to Alaska to work for the Alaska Aces. Uh, and we're happy to have uh, Josh both in Dallas doing Stars games and here with us on the on the mic drop. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Well, as I said, we love a good career journey story. Tell us about how you got started as a kid growing up in L.A. You broke in very, very young. Yeah, um, it it was something that I always wanted to do. I just knew from a very early age. um, I don't know that that necessarily is is how it works with everyone, but I figured out early on um, what I wanted to do. I grew up a huge sports fan, as, as you mentioned, in Southern California and uh, found out at a pretty early age, too, that if I was going to stay involved in the game, it probably wasn't going to be playing it. It's going to be some other avenue. So I, I knew that was what I wanted and had absolutely no idea how to get there and just at every turn tried whatever I could to get experience. It was a different time where there weren't as many webcasts and, and I mean, the internet, honestly, not to date myself too much, it didn't exist in any current form that it does right now. So you, you really had to break in somehow on a radio station or find a way to call games or cover sports or do something like that. And every opportunity was a step in the right direction is the way I kind of felt. And so whether it was in high school uh, just landing whatever experience I could around radio stations and, and just getting familiar with what that process was like or going on to college and doing games, as you mentioned, and covering any sport I possibly could and then taking a really bad demo reel that I compiled out of college and sending it to every minor league team in the country and, and chasing down job after job that way. Uh, all roads eventually led here. How did you, you were 16 though, when you hustled your way into a, a, an opportunity covering LA Kings games, how did you pull that off? I mean, LA is a huge market. Uh, how did you pull that off? Yeah, I don't know that I hustled into it as much as it, it really in a crazy roundabout way happened. Um, I, it, it was, it was kind of a confusing situation, the, the way it all played out, but I wound up being a fan of, uh, it wasn't a sports talk show. It was a variety talk show on an FM talk station in Los Angeles. And they had started talking about how they wanted to get more involved in hockey and, and they wanted to learn more. I wound up calling the station as a, um, just a fan, a regular kid. I called the listener line and wound up leaving a message after hours for this show and let them know that, I happened to be a pretty knowledgeable fan of hockey and I could, I could share some info with them if they wanted. And somehow in the craziest game of operator, that message wound up getting to the host of the show and the producer of the show. 
and they thought that I was somehow either the general manager or the president of the LA Kings that was calling them and giving them this, this opportunity to connect. And it was a, a wild roundabout uh, game of, I don't know how it turned into that getting to them in, in that form. And when they called me back, they had no idea I was a teenager. They had no idea that I had no affiliation with any pro sports team. They thought they were calling for something much different than what they got at the other end. And after an Abbott and Costello phone call that lasted about five to 10 minutes, and we both figured out what the other one did and did not know, they said that it was the, the funniest story they could remember. And they said, how about we just throw you on the air tonight? We tell this story and maybe we can just talk about hockey and see where it goes from there. And that was honestly how I made my radio debut. I knew at the time, strangely enough, that I wanted to get into broadcasting and, and into sports play-by-play. I didn't know how to get there. And it was that happenstance situation that led to me going on the air that night after they ran the segment. I guess a few people, enough people wrote in letters and, and made phone calls and loved the segment. And I became a regular on that station and on that show. And, and that was... I guess, uh, in the craziest roundabout way, my break into radio. Sounds like hustle to me, Josh. We had uh, yeah. <laughs> we had our mutual friend, Bruce, Bruce Levine, on uh, several weeks ago, uh, one of my all-time favorite people. And he, he told a few stories about life on, on the minor league circuit, where I know you, you may have a broadcasting job, but you do whatever they ask you to do or whatever needs to be done. What was your experience like whether it was corpus christi or alaska do you have a favorite uh, story from the from the minor league days yeah you know it's it was a hundred percent like that i always say that when you are a minor league broadcaster you basically do everything else in the world that was not what you were there for just so that after the day is over you can then go call the games and do what you wanted to do in the first place it, it felt many times like even though broadcasting was, was my career and that's what I was chasing after and that's what I always wanted to do, it had to rank 49th or 50th on my to-do list and what the organization prioritized on that list. Um, so Bruce and I have shared some stories over the years and everybody has some. Uh, when I was in Alaska, I mean, look, there's, there's so many. You could kind of like reach into a hat and pull out your favorite story because there's some wild ones. But when I was in Alaska, my job, in addition to calling the games, was also being the travel coordinator. So you're setting up the travel for the team, all individual players. You're part of the roster management. Um, you work on affiliations with the other team. You do ticket sales. You do corporate sales. You do radio and television sales. You build the format everything i we we would run our own commercials sometimes from the booth so it really is a one-man show where you're doing absolutely everything plus you're also the media relations director so setting up any interviews before and after the game and then meanwhile you're calling the game as a one-man broadcaster so there's no pre-game show or intermission show that you hand off to it's a hundred percent you so my first game uh, this is a, a true story. My first regular season game with the Aces, in the middle of the game, we are affiliated with an NHL club, and there was a player who was playing for us, 
that was about to get called up. And he didn't know it. The coach didn't know it. The general manager didn't know it because everybody's fixated on opening night. Well, I get this email that I check during an intermission. While I'm on the air, I get the, the word that this player is about to be called up. And in Alaska, it's a really far trip from anywhere, really. So there's always red-eye flights that leave out of Anchorage. And I get told that he's called up and he needs to leave that night. Meanwhile, he's on the ice. And at that point, I got to the email. He's in the locker room during intermission. I can't get word down to the player. There's not enough time. Um, I can't even get word down to the coach. I have to book his flight out of Anchorage for that evening. I have to organize with the parent club when we're going to release it to the media. I have to continue on with the broadcast that we're calling that game. Uh, and he winds up scoring the overtime game winner on open night. The crowd goes crazy. And then I'm able to get downstairs for a live post-game interview with our head coach. And it was only then that I was able to tell him right before we went on the air during a commercial break that his player had been called up and then go tell the player, uh, congratulations on the goal, pack your bags, you're going up to the American Hockey League. And that's just a microcosm of what that world is kind of like. Wow, that, that gave me goosebumps. That, uh, that was a fantastic story. Um, Josh, we had a really fun conversation with your partner, partner uh, Dale Ray, a, a while back. He's absolutely hilarious. Um, but how do you develop your on-air chemistry together? You know, it's a really good question, and, and I agree. He is hilarious. Um, and I think it was very easy with Razor when I first got the job and we started working together to just play off of that because, number one, he's fantastic at what he does. He's an incredible analyst. He's also a really clever, really funny, really smart guy. And and I just – I kind of approach every broadcast. That the two things I try and do are inform and entertain every time I go on the air, no matter where we are. And he does that so well and, and so easily. And so I try and play off of that. I, I don't know how you would – manufacture that if it wasn't organic uh, that that type of chemistry when you're sharing a broadcast with someone for three hours a night for basically four days a week for six months eventually you're going to learn tendencies and, and time helps you figure out what the other person is going to do would like to do and, and they figure that out about you but in terms of just clicking with someone I think it kind of just has to happen the way chemistry has to happen when you're not on the air. And again, I, I just lean on the fact that it's pretty easy with him because he likes to inform. He likes to entertain. We figure out each other's tendencies. And I think we kind of hit the ground running from that standpoint when I first did get the job. And that was one of the comments I didn't necessarily expect to get, but I got immediately from a lot of people was, we were 20 games into that first season. And what I heard from so many listeners was it sounds like you guys have worked together for years and years. And I, I always took that as a huge compliment. I was always thrilled that it came across that way because it felt that way when we were on the air. Um, 
I wish I had a better answer for you and how you actually get that. Uh, I, I just think we had it and continue to have it, and hopefully it makes for some entertaining shows. Yep, and it actually, uh, when you have that chemistry, it really makes things uh, fun. Sometimes it doesn't feel like work, you know? So, But we have yeah. to know, do you consciously set him up sometimes for some of his, let's say, uh, colorful descriptions of plays? You know what? I don't know that I have to consciously set him up. <laughs> he's been doing this so long, and he's so good. He he gets in, and, and he knows what he's able to do. But I definitely do try to set him up for situations that will allow him, you know, to flourish, and, and he doesn't need much. Um, he's he's really, again, not to be redundant, he's fantastic at what he does, and, and he's been doing this an awfully long time. So I do try and set him up and give him space, and, and we, we form this pretty good partnership. Uh, but I don't usually know, I, I certainly never within the context of play-by-play. People ask me all the time, do you know what's coming? Do you know what racerism is next? Do you know what he's about to say? And I don't. I hear it along with the audience for the first time. And I think that's part of you know what keeps it good, too, because whatever reaction you hear me have, is the same reaction that you would be having at home if you were tuning in, if you were watching or you were listening. Um, and I think that that's part of it. Uh, I, I definitely understand that um, he brings so much to our broadcast every single night. And so it makes our shows better. I want to give him every opportunity to do that. At the same time, hockey is such a breakneck pace. The game goes so fast and we both want to cover the game. So it's walking that balance of, of figuring out, you know, we don't necessarily know what we're going to talk about. It's the beauty of live broadcasting. You can't script it out. You can have storylines and you can have ideas and things you want to get to, but as to how you'll get to them or when you'll get to them. And in some cases, even if you'll get to them, a lot of it winds up on the cutting room floor just because the game will take you in a different direction. You never want to pigeonhole something if, if the game's going somewhere else. And I think our ability to do that and, and just sort of adapt and go on the fly. And there's a tremendous crew that nobody sees behind the scenes that plays a huge role in that too, and keeps the show moving in the right direction. And uh, it's just, it's just a blast to do it. And hopefully we do it to an entertaining degree. So uh, as we you know record this here on a Thursday morning, we don't know whether the Stars will be playing Colorado or Calgary, but can you assess the Stars uh, for us heading into the playoffs um, where we know basically anything can happen in the playoffs? But give us, give us your thoughts. Yeah, anything can happen in the playoffs, and it really feels like anything can happen with this Stars team. But the, the biggest point, it's been a roller coaster of a season. It really has. There have been some extreme highs, and there have been some pretty extreme lows. And um, at times, it's looked like maybe the Stars were going to struggle to make it, and at other times, it looked like they can contend with anyone in the NHL. And where we sit at this point, not knowing who that opponent is going to be, they do know that they're there and hockey probably more than any other sport is a sport where once you trim it down to 16 and you make it to the playoffs, you see late round runs from lower seeded teams all the time. And you just have to go back a couple of years ago to the bubble in Edmonton when not too many people were given the stars a chance nationwide and they wind up going to the Stanley cup final and two wins away from winning it all. And I think that, Right now, if, if 
you are the stars for better or worse. They kind of have been a team that plays to their competition this year. And that can be frustrating when you're playing against some of the teams near the bottom of the standings and then you'd like to put them away, maybe a little easier than Dallas has at times, but that can make them an extremely difficult matchup when you're going to, against the top teams. And that's who it's going to be either Calgary or Colorado is one heck of a task. Those are two fantastic teams. They're pretty much the two best teams in the Western conference and the stars are going to go into one, but I assure you that neither one of those teams wants to face Dallas and is happy about it. The stars actually have a winning record this year against the avalanche. They've played Calgary extremely well also. And I think that the stars are going to lean into that part of their identity, that they are a tough team to play against. They are a team that a lot of their core was there two years ago when they went on that run to the Stanley cup final, they're going to embrace the characteristics they have that make them a difficult opponent come playoff time. And as we've learned before, I don't know how this is all going to shake out. No one does. No one does. And that's the beauty of all of this. But there is nothing for my money as entertaining in sports as the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I'm so thrilled for the people in Dallas that they're going to get to witness it in person again, that, that they're going to get to walk into the American Airlines Center. I'm watching these Mavericks games here in the first round and hearing what that building is sounding like. And these last few games have felt like playoff games at the AAC when the stars have played and you can start to feel that energy. And it's, uh, it's just the greatest time of the year. And I'm so excited for this team, for its fan base and for the days and hopefully weeks and months to come. Josh, obviously the Mavs have Luca, who's a young star. The stars have their own and uh, Jason Robertson, you hit the 40 point mark. 40 goal mark uh, earlier this this week how crucial is he to the stars playoff run and does he really have a ceiling if he has i don't know what it is and i don't know if if and when he'll hit it um but what he's done in two years uh, to, to think about the fact this is only year two for him and he bona fide is hitting marks when you stack them up on, on our broadcast we've we've shown a few graphics the things he's doing at the age he's doing with the minimum number of games that he's played in this league and the company he's keeping, you're talking about hall of fame names and, and the best in the sport. And he's, he's just absolutely bullied his way into that territory. It's incredible to watch on a nightly basis. So I don't know where the ceiling is. I'm excited to find out over the span of his career, which I think is going to be, a remarkable one, but to answer your first question of how important he is to this team, it's, it's so important. And it's really part of a larger uh, trifecta with his line mates, because he plays on a line with Rope Hintz and Joe Pavelski. And it is without question, one of the best lines in hockey. They account for almost half of the stars goals this season. And that's a, that's a mind boggling number. There are, 18 skaters on a night and when you factor in injuries the amount of players who play you go into the mid to late 20s in terms of who are players on this stars team and three guys account for almost half of their goal scoring other teams know it's coming and they just simply can't shut them down they can't stop it and it's going to be 
very intriguing to see how they match up in the first round because whether it's Calgary or Colorado, each one of those teams has a line that they ride in similar fashion, pretty top-heavy when it comes to their scoring and their production and thought to be one of the better lines in the league. So you're going to get just a clash of the Titans regardless of who that first-round opponent is in terms of top line versus top line. And I can't wait to see how Robertson and company hold their own because uh, they always say, especially when you talk about a team in Dallas that maybe doesn't get the nationwide coverage that some other teams do in, in the National Hockey League, the, the playoffs can be the coming out party. A couple years ago, that's what it was for Miro Haskin in, uh, on defense for the Stars. And even to a lesser extent, John Klingberg, who had been around longer, but an opportunity when the lights are brightest to showcase what they could do. And the lights are about to be the brightest. And if the last two seasons are any indication, the world is about to find out what Jason Robertson can do. And I can't wait to be along for the ride when they do. Josh, it's been great having you on. Before we let you go, we, lo we love to ask our media guests uh, to give our listeners a recommendation. What are you downloading? What are you streaming? It could be a book, music, TV, movie, podcast. Any, uh, what are you up to these days? I know you're a busy guy, but uh, any recommendations on that front for the mic drop uh, audience? I don't know if it's going to be the most, uh, like the biggest revelation for anyone, because I think most people know about this show. But as we sit here on Thursday morning and we record this, I'm pretty excited that tomorrow, season four, part two of Ozark oh, is yes. about to drop. And, uh, and that, that's going to be the conclusion of that show. And from episode one, about 15 minutes in, I was immediately hooked on that, and I think I just think that is a fantastic show. I think the the character development on that show, the the story arc, the way it's shot, the acting, honestly, it checks every single box. I I think it's I think it's an all timer, and I can't wait to see how that wraps up. We are right there with you, Monica. What do you got? Well, actually, I took a little time this weekend. I was uh, trying to catch up on some work, and I uh, was out of uh, anything that was recorded on the DVR already. So uh, I did Anatomy of a Scandal on Netflix, so based out of the U.K., and um, it's limited series, six episodes, so it was kind of a, an easy one for me. Do you give it the uh, the, the Monica Paul uh, seal of approval? Because, Josh, her, Monica's... Uh, Monica's batting average is very high on recommendations. If she suggests it, it's 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 usually pretty good. Uh, you know, it's not at the top of my list. Um, okay. So, you know, I'd probably give it out of three and a half stars, maybe out of five. So. Okay. Uh, Monica, you're Mark gonna you're you're gonna you're gonna be my uh, new phone a friend because <laughs> the season gets long. We spend a lot of time traveling and <laughs> on planes, and uh, a key element is queuing up the tablet making sure you've got the uh the latest shows so um come next season or on a deep run here i'll be hitting you up for some uh, well, recommendations well that's good because i'm about to have to start downloading some stuff to the tablet because i'm about to start traveling a little <laughs> bit more than normal uh, and uh so i'm like okay i've got to make sure to download some stuff so i have uh things for the plane i, I think yeah I exactly think... I'll, I'll be riding your coattails <laughs> And I hope it's a long run this year and you don't have to wait till uh, next season, Josh, to tap uh, Monica's recommendations. I know Marcus is in with, with, uh, with all of us on Ozark. I'm going to go with The Offer, which starts this weekend, tonight maybe, 
on uh, Paramount Plus. It's a three-part miniseries on the on the making of The Godfather, starring Miles Teller, Juno Temple of Ted Lasso fame, Giovanni Ribisi, a great uh, a great cast. And I also have to give a quick plug to our vocal uh, brother, uh, Mike Reiner, his podcast, Your Dark Companion, is back. And he interviewed Derek Harper, Maverick legend, on April 12th. Uh, I listened to it this week. There's a lot of great off-the-court stuff in there about Derek's upbringing and how he approached the game. And highly recommend everybody, uh, everyone check that one out, too. So, so with that, all the best, uh, Josh, to the stars for a, a long run. Uh, and uh, and we hope to have you back to talk about how great it went uh, down the road. So on behalf of Monica and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to our guests, Tom Dunmore and Josh Bogorad. Thanks to the Mike Drop production team, Daniel Whitelaw-Piscura, Angela Lang, Marcus Carr, Reeves Eddins, all of Tony Fay PR. Thanks to Ren and Jay at Vocal, our showrunner, Tony Fay. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.